Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. Got another podcast for you. Um, it's been a while. I, I feel like at this point you should be used to my very sporadic podcasting schedule. Um, I am not made for consistency. I think uh, over the last couple of years, I've been uh, understanding more of my neurodivergency, my, my combo of autism and ADHD, and understanding that I tend to go on these kind of like hyper fixations where I, I get fixated with doing the podcast. I pummel out like two podcasts a week that are three hours long, that are really intense and amazing. And I do that for, you know, two months straight and then I just disappear for six months. And um, yeah, I think I'm just going to have to lean into that if I'm honest, because I kind of beat myself up. I feel like really bad about not being on top of my podcast, but I just don't feel it. I don't do it. Um, and, and when I try and make myself do the podcast where I'm not feeling it, I think it shows. I think the podcast is a bit shit, if I'm honest, uh, or it feels it anyway. Um, and so not a, an apology or even a, an excuse, um, just kind of trying to, yeah, process this out with you all um, and kind of just trying to hedge expectations as well. This podcast will be random. Um, I do have about six podcasts scheduled to record in the next couple of weeks. So hopefully, you know, um, I'll be putting out some uh, podcasts more regularly. But if I completely drop off the face of the earth, the beauty is I'm always doing something. Um, I love doing what I do and helping people deconstruct. Um, it just looks a bit different at different times. So if I'm not doing the podcast, I'm fixating on, you know, working on research or I'm in my DMs chatting with you or I'm making memes or something else. Um, and so you can always find me somewhere doing something. Um, but yeah, just a, uh, a explanation for why I've not been around for about a month on the podcast, um, even though I said, I think I'm going to get back into podcasts. And so, yeah, we, we will see. But I've got a great podcast for you today. We've got David Hayward, um, who most of you will know as The Naked Pastor. He's got a new book coming out. And so we figured we'd do a, a podcast. And ah, I loved talking with David. Um, had some issues with the sound. And so I have to apologize. My sound sounds really bad. Um, believe it or not, this is the best version of my sound. It sounded a lot worse before I spent hours and hours trying to get it to sound good. Um, it does get better after about the first seven, eight minutes or so. Um, and so... Yeah, I, I figured it was it was a great conversation. I wanted to still get it out there for you. Um, and obviously, David taking t time out of his schedule to chat with me. Um, I didn't want to waste that. Um, but hopefully, it's not too much for you guys. Um, if it's, you know, if there's any audiophiles out there who are absolutely dying at how bad it is, I, I'm sorry. You know, it, it won't happen again. I fixed it. Um, you'll be able to tell the difference between the podcast and this intro. As always... Um, Guys, check out the Deconstruction Network. i just give a bit of a plug before we start. I've done a major update to that in this last week. There's um, a whole bunch of new features. The messaging system's overhauled. Um, it actually wasn't notifying people when they got messages. And so if you signed up for that a while back and you've never had a message, there's a good chance you've got messages from people that are in your local area deconstructing, wanting to connect, and you just didn't get an email notification. So check that out. There's now groups for regional gatherings and other topics, you know, like purity culture, recovering from purity culture groups and things like that so you can sign up uh for free on the deconstructionnetwork.com you can set up groups for your area you can set up groups around topics you can invite people you can search by area and the most exciting feature one that i've been asked for again and again and again you can now tag yourself as looking for love wanting to date whatever whatever it is that you're interested in you can tag yourself as that and you can refine your search by that as well and so you can search by sexuality and all sorts of different things 
Um, and so, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're looking for the, the shittest version of Tinder in the world, but it's got people that are deconstructing on it, I think the Deconstruction Network is probably the only one out there. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty sparse. There's about 5,000 people on the network right now, but obviously it's a brand new feature. And so um, a lot of people haven't added that uh, dynamic to their profile um, but hopefully over the coming months, we'll see more of that. And and hey, who knows, maybe we'll, I get messages all the time from people that meet one another in person and become friends, you know, in San Diego or Chile or London or, you know, all over the world. Um, and that's really lovely. But I can't wait till I get like a wedding invite or something over over uh, the Deconstruction Network. So yeah, do check it out. It's, it's a great resource. If you're feeling lonely and isolated in this journey of deconstruction, it's a great resource to try and find people locally. Um, of course, that's the primary thing that it does. It, you plug in your uh, city, you search a radius 20 miles, and it shows you everyone within 20 miles that's deconstructing on the network that you can send a message to and connect with. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully the groups will help with, you know, arranging get-togethers and doing things like that as well. And um, yeah, do plug in the deconstructionnetwork.com and it's free. As everything I do is free, um, I also give a plug for my Patreon. If you want to help me keep doing all these things for free, um, you can do that by heading to patreon.com slash phildrysdale as a thank you. We've got an online community. We do monthly Zooms. Um, that's always fun to, to connect with people in that way. It just um, allows us to get a lot closer than we can just in um, every uh, now and then shooting dms or things like that and as always if you do need someone to talk to feel free to shoot me a dm um, again there's never any obligation for anyone to give any money we've all been uh, financially abused basically over over many decades most of us um, and so I, i've i'm very committed to being a person that is safe that is here that will never require anything from any of you and so if you just need someone to talk to if you need some uh, someone to process as you deconstruct shoot me a dm on instagram i'm at phil drysdale and i'd love to talk all right let's dive into the chat with david hayward good to see you um i'm so excited about um yeah I just love, love, love your stuff. And I love being able to put your stuff in people's hands. Um, and so I'm really excited about your book. I'm excited to be able to chat again, um, yeah. catch up. Um, just looking through your book, I, it just astounds me the sheer quantity of stuff that you have out there that is really high quality. You know, I, I can bash out a post every day, a meme or something like that, but I feel like most days I'm phoning it in. You know, most days I'm like, oh, that's basically just exactly the same, but slightly altered. And I feel like with every one of your posts, I'm always like, dang, that is the most profound thing ever. But he did the same thing to me like a couple of days ago. So I'm posting this <laughs> the most profound thing ever. And so I, I don't know how you do it, but it's honestly, nice. but I, even flicking through your greatest hits. And I feel like between me seeing your stuff and then people tagging me in your stuff or sharing it with me, I feel <laughs> like I must have seen everything that the Naked Pass has ever had. And I'm flicking through these greatest hits and I'm like, how is there like 20 or 30 of these 100 plus? Is it 100 or so, is it? 125, yeah. I feel like it was a good 20 I had never seen. And I'm like, where did, how did they slip under the radar? So, Well, there are there uh, a couple that are new. There are 15 that are never before seen. So. Now I feel so much more vindicated. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. I was like, yeah, it's just like about 20 or so. So probably it's only about five then, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> Because yeah. I consider myself a big fan. I'd, I'd be like, yeah, no, I've seen most of the Hayward stuff. Um, but yeah, wow. Well, great. You're so pro prolific. I mean, it's, it's an astonishing uh, gift you have. Well, I do it full time. Well, thank you. Uh, sure. I do, do it, I do it full time. That's, what, that's all I do. I'm just yeah. drawing and painting and writing and interacting with people online. And so it's, uh, you know, 
that's my real job. I'm not yeah. working outside the house, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, I started the blog when I was a pastor, so I can only sort of slip in and out of the blog now and then and social media has grown and all that, but yeah, yeah, I'm busy. So it's, it's impressive because I mean, I just, I do this full time as well. And, and there's certain things that when you do full time, like talking with people all day, every day, I mean, you could do that more than the hours that you have. But right. that then that requires a very special set of skills and energy in and of itself. But there's something about creativity that I can sit down and try and create something for eight hours and get nowhere. And then the next day in half an hour, I can create like five blogs or something. You know, yeah. it, it just feels like it just flows. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the consistency which which you uh, managed to consistently put out really creative works is, is very important. Yeah, that whole yeah, thanks. The whole the whole thing about creativity and productivity and pro- being prolific and you know uh i find all that very very fascinating mm-hmm. and um i i think at the i've thought about it a lot obviously because i get it a lot why are sure. you how are you so prolific how are you drawing and writing and painting and interacting and yeah, doing a video and yeah all that all day every day um and so i do find that interesting um, but I think at the root of it is um, this sort of a belief that I can do anything <laughs> if I put my mind to it. It's sort oh. of a, it's, you know, I don't think I'm a superhuman or anything like that. It's just that um, if there, I, I feel like it can uh, accept challenges and, and accomplish it. Like, mm. you know, um, one of those people who thinks, oh, my pipe's broken. I don't know anything about plumbing, but I'm going to try and fix it and, you know, kind of thing. So I don't know. It's just, uh, I find it very fascinating. And also on the other hand, um, Cal, Cal Newport, I think is his name. He wrote Deep Work, which is a very excellent book that talks about devoting, you know, extended periods of time to, um, producing making stuff yeah and and uh so i i find that stuff very fascinating but yeah cool it's awesome it's awesome you're, you're very much an inspiration as someone that tries to <laughs> i i probably fall into the place of trying way too hard and creating far too many shoulds that's my my fallacy that i fall back into again and again and again and i'm most productive when i just decide it doesn't matter if i do or not and i'm just gonna have fun i'm gonna do what i feel like right now and more <laughs> times and not i just fall into some sort of creative zone when i do that um so yeah i can fall into the trap but i'm always looking at certain people and you never see the story behind the the scenes right you just see the the thing that they're yeah. producing and you just go oh it's yeah. so easy for them or you know whatever but um yeah you're, you're very inspirational i know that you, i mean the the sheer amount of stuff that you put out i mean you must be reaching so many people through that i mean i i i, I you know i laugh because you're like you you t- touched base with me last week and you're like um Hey, I'm bringing out a book. Do you, do you want to let some of your people know? And I'm like, my people are your people. I'm like, the, the Venn diagram of people that follow me who also happen to follow you is a circle. Now, the other way around, definitely not. If you reached out and said to me, could I, or if I reached out to you, there'd be a lot of people that know you that don't know me. But I'm like, pretty much everyone that knows me knows you for sure because I'm like constantly sharing your stuff or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's incredible the amount of people that you're reaching, the amount of people that you're helping, um, how many people I talk to that say I first kind of came across some of these themes and ideas or I first felt safe because I saw a cartoon. And and 
what an amazing medium to to help someone as well you know like it's, it's probably the last place yeah. people think to find uh, solace and safety and um and seeing themselves in a mirror is a funny cartoon on instagram or whatever you know it's, yeah, it's like a secret weapon yeah 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 for sure it's, yeah it sort of amazing. slips in there yeah and uh, do, does it do you, work in a there's, a, there's a weird dynamic with that you know people have said for years comedy is kind of one of the main mechanisms mm-hmm. in which um we we kind of talk about some of the biggest social ills that there are you know we talk about these things that we can't talk about through comedy because on some level it disarms us the whole mechanism of comedy is it's it comes with a twist it gives you that little twist punch gut punch you know gets you where you weren't expecting but you're laughing you find it surprising funny um how do you how do you engage with that i mean is that something you go in do you go in thinking where's the twist where's the punch like you know how how do i go about this or how do you begin creating something like the cartoons that you're creating because there's such a broad theme there within a within a smaller niche of like faith and spirituality yeah. maybe yeah that's a really really good question that i find really difficult to answer um i people say where do you come up with all this <laughs> and it's like i just have a weird brain i guess i don't know i <laughs> i will i'll be lying in bed waking up in the morning and an image will pop in my head i might chuckle it might make me emotional it might make me angry or whatever but um and I'll just draw it. Now, one of the most important things I've discovered is I, as soon as I try to draw something for out there, it pollutes the process. Mm. So for me, I need to be drawing for me. I need to be, you know, uh, writing or whatever for me. As soon as I try to reach people or, um, influence people or sell to people or whatever uh, it pollutes the process my Mm. most creative just like you said a moment ago i'm most creative when i'm just ah heck with it i'm just gonna you know do something it's like that with my paintings too like i Mm. if i say oh if i do one of those i know it'll sell then the quality is not as good and it doesn't move me so i'll i'll paint a painting that moves me and then i'll you know put it up for sale and, and it moves others. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, I, I don't, only once in a while will I uh, feel a topic needs to be addressed and I'll, I'll just, you know, um, sit around drinking my coffee, listening to music, letting my mind whirl. Sure. And uh, until an image comes up. Yeah. But most of the time, the image comes first and then I try to explain it. Yeah. 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 That makes loads of sense. I mean, you are really good with topical as well. I I, I know that, you know, something big can be happening in the, in the deconstruction space yeah. in the broader space of maybe politics or whatever. And you, you generally, maybe you just have them sitting in the backlog somewhere where you go, Oh, when this topic comes up, I can pull this one out. But a lot of times you yeah. do come up with something really great. I guess one thing that strikes me as interesting is it's very hard for me. So I get this a lot with people that, um, engage with my stuff is they assume that my stuff is is what I think or what I believe but a lot of the time I'm writing a poem or something and I'm writing it from the perspective of a Christian that's struggling with their faith I'm not still in that space or I'm writing it as the Christian's like wife who doesn't understand why her husband is you know losing her faith and what she's going to do or and and so there's this dynamic of trying to create like an avatar for who you're writing to and and it sounds like for you you are your avatar you try and write for yourself and in your own process 
But one of the things I've seen in your work is it's so incredible how you capture the other. You you, you really do uh, a very high level of empathy within you, I guess. But, um, you know, a lot of your works are about things that maybe you aren't. You know, I, I, I know you're, I don't know, are you straight? You're married, if I think I remember, right? But you, you engage with things like LGBTQ really well. You yeah. engage with things like race, you know, very well. As an older white guy, you know, like it's like, yeah. oh, here's yeah. the old white guy talking about race. But you do it incredibly. Um, and so there's dynamics there where it feels like you are engaging with stuff that maybe isn't your day-to-day. Right. Um, and, and being able to create beautiful works of art that help people that are in a space that you aren't to really process and feel loved and feel connected and feel seen how do you feel about that and what's that about yeah so that's that's very much connected with my philosophy of um the person uh psychological growth spiritual growth whatever you want to call it um that and I, I, I talk about this quite often because I think it's really important. I use, you know, I used to think of growth as linear where you go from point A to point B and, you know, you sort of leave the past behind you. Um, then I, I moved on to growth as stage, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, where you sort of transcend and elevate and look down on your, you know, previous selves. Sure. And, and uh, now I, 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 I think, of it as our, our growth as spatial, where mm-hmm. we, we grow outward and it subsumes everything that goes before. Not, yes. We're not leaving anything for, behind. We're not rising above our former selves. It all gets included so that I don't look back on my previous selves where I was a crazy worship leader in a vineyard church where there was all kinds of charismatic stuff going on and, you know, praying for miracles and demons and dancing and you know speaking in tongues all that i don't look back on that with shame or or regret it's Mm. just a part of who i am it all gets integrated somehow it all gets subsumed so i i do have empathy i don't like making fun of people who worship that way i don't like making fun of people who believe differently than i do what i do go after though are beliefs and behaviors and systems and sometimes people but not so much anymore that are abusive unjust you know uh greedy stupid you know all those things i will i'll go after that because i don't feel that's uh, a valid part of the human you know makeup or experience so yeah yeah, so i do have empathy for people who are still in a, a place of uh like evangelical belief um or charismatic experience or um, deep into Roman Catholic liturgy, uh, Mm. Catholic liturgy, or, you know, whatever. I I don't care. That's all surface stuff to me. Um, What I care about is helping people feel empowered where they are, uh, wherever that is, and, and help them feel empowered to step into their own freedom and become autonomous and spiritually independent. So that's that's what I really care about, and that's yeah. why I have empathy for people who are wherever they are on the spectrum. Yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. I think that's really huge, and I think um, you can see you can look across the broad um, landscape of people that have some form of platform within the space of deconstruction, and you can see yeah. people engaging with that 
topic with with uh, creating communities, whatever it is they're doing, talking on podcasts, creating art, doing that very differently in in a, in a myriad of different ways. Um, right. And it is common, I think, especially early on in people starting to deconstruct, starting to question their faith, question what's going on. It's very common for people at the beginning of that process. In my experience, anecdotally, just observing. Um, although actually we've got some data coming out that points to it as well a little bit, um, that there's a lot of demonization of what has just been. You know, there's a very, it's, it's very easy for people to look at it and regret the time they were in, feel angry yeah. about it, maybe blame people that were leaders in that position. You, you were hoodwinking me, you were lying to me when probably their leaders genuinely believe that that's true. They're not lying. They just don't know what you think is true now. Um, that's right. And, and it's, it's quite a, in my experience, it's been quite fascinating trying to help people navigate that process, look internally, listen to the pain, listen to the hurt, listen to the, the fear, the guilt, the regret, the shame. There's so much going on there and yeah. start moving forward into trying to integrate some of the, the past. Can, can you talk, because I know you've been helping people do this for much longer than I have, for longer than maybe most people have in this space. Um how have you kind of, because I feel like you're quite intentional with this as well in, in some of the other spaces. Maybe this is less common in, in some of your cartoons, um, which I think is probably where most people engage with a lot of what you do. Um, but I feel like even with your, your Lasting Supper and creating spaces that you've, you've created, can you talk a bit about maybe how you navigated that and maybe how you see other people might be able to navigate that? Well, you're, you're, so you're talking about recovery from church trauma uh, spiritual abuse and, and things like that is that yeah maybe without uh, so uh, i hate the saying because it's been so abused of like throwing babies out with bath waters or anything like that but but i guess what you're talking about there with as we grow spatially to do that healthily without it becoming about stages where we reject the prior stage and disdain right. the stage ahead of us when you grow spatially you, you have to integrate this this the stages that have come before the the space that has come before it has to still be somewhat integrated into who you are and i see you doing yeah. that really well i wonder if you could talk about how people might be able to try and do that as they deconstruct as they grow that might be a tool that helps them do it in a more healthy way um helps right. them move forwards um, more effectively yes. maybe yeah so this is where empathy really has to kick in and compassion um like i i even though i was a pastor and even though i served other pastors and spiritual leaders um i experienced um a lot of spiritual abuse and some of it alarming when i think back um and uh some of those abusers of, of me are still alive and some aren't. Um, and I had to, I had to process a lot, uh, you know, walking out of that. And that was all a part of my deconstruction as well. Um, but on the other hand, I was a part of the system that kind of perpetuates that kind of a culture mm. where, you know, and I have cartoons about that where uh, spiritual abuse is rebranded um, to call it instead of uh, harassing, you call it discipleship, you know, instead of correcting you, you know, it's shaming, you know, mm -hmm. where it's, everything's rebranded so that it makes sense within that culture. Uh, so, you know, and even having to deal with my own complicity 
in mm. that whole process, believing that this was good for me, that it was okay for a, a spiritual leader to shame me and harass me and uh, insult me and scare me <laughs> and guilt me because this was all a part of, you know, kind of like U.S. Yeah. Navy SEAL boot camp, right? So a lot of it for me is, um, yeah, forgiving, moving on, um, also understanding that the system all perpetuates that and do what I can to uncover that, expose it, challenge it. And, um, but also on the other hand, it's kind of like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the stages, and it's one of the most difficult apparently, uh, is where you make amends. So a lot of people, um, you know, you have to forgive, but also you have to, sometimes you have to make amends. So there, there's some people, I, I know some ex-pastors, for example, who really struggle with guilt and mm. shame uh, being, having been involved in an abusive system and sort of, you know, um, participating in that and, and needing to go and where it would be helpful and fruitful making amends with some people. I've done that myself, mm. wow. looking back. Um, feeling, ooh, you know what, I, I probably crossed the line and took advantage of the power I had to manipulate people and gone and asked their forgiveness for that. So yeah, it's very complex. But on the other hand, I don't know how many hands I've just mentioned, but um, <laughs> there, the legitimacy and the validity of anger and experiencing that and going through that process is often withheld from a lot of people. And, and of all the emotions in, you know, um, um, you know, um, Kubler-Ross's stages of, uh, you know, dying, death and dying and grief and all that. Yes. Now that's come into question. People have challenged that. It's more like phases that we can spin around in um, more cyclically. Um, anger is one of the most taboo of all yeah. Christian, you know, emotions. Um, and, and so I, I just provide space for people to be angry because I, it's like one of my, my prints says, feel the feels, because that's the only way they're going to yeah. pass through you and that you can move on is by actually dealing with the anger. Some people, they, they can go into a room, um, with a, a baseball bat and break dishes and boxes and whatever they can to, uh, and get rid of their anger in you know, a couple of hours and some people it takes a couple of years or more. So that, I think that's important, um, is to actually feel and go through the anger stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think, I mean, for many of us, we, we were taught to spiritually bypass ourselves, right? I mean, we, we really that's were, right. yeah. we were taught to yeah. ignore emotions and, and maybe, maybe, uh, not certain ones. We, we loved certain ones that were maybe ultra introspective that caused us guilt and shame and whatever else might, <laughs> might have been the case. But um, yeah. a lot of these emotions like anger, we really were told, oh, it's not, you know, very, it's not, it's not Christ-like to be angry, angry, you know, fruit, there's no fruit of the spirit of anger, you know, and uh, things like that. Um, You're given and, a day, and, literally. Yeah. One day. You can't let the sun set on your wrath, right? So you have one day. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, I need the room. I need the room with the baseball bat. <laughs> I just found out there's room, one in town. Yeah. yeah, there's one near us, and it's like oh, I don't okay. think it's like fifty or hundred quid or something. So it's quite expensive. But you go in there for like half an hour and just break stuff, and they've got like old TVs <laughs> and everything. And I'm like, 
that sounds fun. I'm not even that angry, but I could get angry. You put me in there and I'll find some anger. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It sounds great. But yeah, I mean, I think it's very foreign to me. I was, I was talking to my therapist last week and we were talking about how we engage in different attachment theories and, and things like that. And I was talking about with my wife, I can tend to kind of shut down. If I've got stuff going on, I kind of just bottle it up. Um, and I and I kind of internalize and go, look, yes, it upsets you when Tilly does this, but really the issue is not Tilly doing that. It's how I'm responding and maybe I can work on that. Maybe I can look at that. But what happens when I don't just tell Tilly, hey, I'm working on some of this stuff and I'm working on my response to it. But in the meantime, that's really upsetting me. Can we talk about why? And maybe you could help me. I never do that part. Right? I just, I let it blow up. I, I try and fix it myself. It gets worse and worse because I tend not to be very good at fixing my problems. And then eventually I, I kind of like, I snap and I, and I never get angry, which is really fascinating. I was talking to the therapist, but my snapping is I completely withdraw. Like I just, I shut down and I get really upset with myself. I beat myself up. It, it's all inward focused. Um, I'm very angry towards myself, I guess, which is quite interesting. And I think probably quite Christian uh, for a lot of people as well. That was their Christian kind of upbringing. Um, but I'm so intrigued by that dynamic. You know, there's almost a pride in me. I've never, I've never been angry with my wife. I never shouted at her. Even uh, I was married before this and I never once had a, a angry outburst or, and, and I, I look at that as a, that's a badge of honor. And I think in some ways, yeah, you should shout at people for no reason or, or even for uh, maybe small reasons, but um, it's intriguing to me how much I look at that and go, how much of that was my Christian upbringing that has just mm. taught me to shut down any form of anger and to internalize it, to, you know, beat myself up, whatever it is. It's, it's really intriguing to me how deep these like rabbit holes go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, uh, it's interesting. I, I had a therapist for a few months, a little while back. Um, cause I was going through some stuff and, uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk with her about was I never get really angry. Like mm. I have, there's fight, flight, or freeze. And my favorite response is to freeze where I just go numb and I don't feel anything. And to some people, including myself, not feeling anything is, mm. you can feel like you're all right when actually, you know, that's not all right. And yeah. you need to be feeling something and to be in touch with those things. And one of the emotions that I don't ever, I don't ever remember, I don't shout either. I don't get visibly angry. You know, I freeze. And uh, that's how I respond to things that I'm really frustrated about. Or I, I go into a funk or a zone. Mm. And those are, you know, um, a funk is when I'm depressed and a zone is when I'm angry. And mm. uh and just getting in touch with those emotions or, you know, and it wasn't just religion either. It was in my home. I was the first of five kids, very responsible. I was the perfect child. And uh, my, you know, mom said that was always an angel. Hmm. And uh, I lived up to that, you know, and, uh, and so anger was one of the things in my life that suffered. And um, yeah, so very yeah. interesting eh? personal yeah growth is and, and, it, and it is interesting <laughs> you know you mentioned that but this is something i've been thinking about a lot as well is is we just can't untangle um our lives with christianity you know, i think so much of the time as we deconstruct we look back and go oh it's because of christianity xyz 
you know, whatever. And that can be true a lot of the time. I think we can point the blame at many things within our religious structures. But so many of us grew up in a, a religious home or maybe not a religious home, but a home that looked the way it did because of a certain puritanical way of running a world for so long yeah, based yeah. on religion or or different things. And I think it's such a complex thing to unravel that when you start to deconstruct, when you start to find autonomy, you can start to, you know, live your life as the authority figure, not just receiving authority from on high or from a pastor right. or a book or whatever. It it can feel overwhelming because the truth is most people are overwhelmed just by deconstructing their faith. But that oh, yeah. really, in a lot of ways, is maybe just actually a byproduct of what's actually happening. I, I was thinking about this recently. I've been trying to put together some materials to help people with this, but I was thinking about how really that we focus on the change of beliefs, what we believe, but really that's just a byproduct of what's happened. What's happened is how we believe changed. You mm-hmm. know, we, we've gone through a psychological shift and yeah. everything changes. And I think because we are, we grew up Christian, everything is Christian, right? We, we don't have it at our job, our marriage, our kids, our, our purpose in life. Everything's all interwoven with this Christianity. But as that's soon right. as you can find areas that aren't interwoven or aren't as obviously interwoven, you realize, oh gosh, I've changed with those as well, or how I'm going to engage with those is probably going to change as well. Um, yeah. was, was there ways that as you went through your own deconstruction, you, you found, um, were, there, were there ancillary things around you that were changing as well as your faith when, when you went through this process? Can you think about that? Well, um, I tell this story so often, I'm always nervous. It's a repeat, but um, I... <laughs> I started deconstructing on graduation day when I graduated from seminary. I was a very young man and um, just my first, uh, I was deep into the Bible. I got a BA in Bible and theology. I got my master's in New Testament studies. I'd studied years of Koine Greek, biblical Hebrew, Aramaic, theological German, theological French, you name it speed reading courses in Greek, we would just sit there and read through the Greek Bible and, and translating as we go. And I was a real geek when it came to the Bible so that I would even preach from the Greek New Testament. Nice. <laughs> just a nerd, total nerd, <coughs> biblical nerd. And so on the, the day I was graduating, I was freaking out because all of a sudden I was questioning the inspiration of scripture. And for me, that was the the cornerstone upon mm. which everything I believed rested so that if that went, it was kind of like the thin end of the wedge. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like everything was threatened. And, you know, I took decades to deconstruct. There was a slow glacial melt. It was almost like a corrupt code was inserted into my brain computer and just slowly started to corrupt my whole system. And it took years and years and years, mm. decades, literally decades, um, until, you know, it all sort of converged like a perfect storm. In 2009, 2010, when um, in 2009, I had a profound spiritual epiphany like a flash of insight where I saw that we're all one and united at a deep and fundamental level and that that was sort of the climax mm. of my deconstruction and within a year um, I, I left the ministry but at the same time Lisa 
decided to go back to uh, decide to go to university to get her nursing degree. She started when she was 48. Um, our kids had left home, you know, empty mm -hmm. nest. When we left the church uh, ministry and the church, we lost all our friends. Um, I lost my paycheck. I lost my sense of meaning and purpose in life, my destiny. I didn't have any, I didn't know what to do. Um, and Lisa and I were going through our own struggles because of all this. Our, so our marriage was under threat. Mm. And it was, yeah, I just realized, holy shit. You can edit that out if you want, but holy shit. No, no, shit, you're good. It, it, it's like my faith or whatever you want to call that was like a, a like a brain tumor that had tentacles going throughout the whole brain that was inoperable. So it's mm. almost what it felt like where everything was touched and affected by my belief, everything, my friends, my money, my marriage, my sense of purpose, my sense of well-being, my sense of confidence, my, my family, my, like, how, how you, I remember Lisa and I sitting down to eat, looking at each other, well, do we, do we, do we say grace anymore? Or, you know, kind of, everything was affected and touched by it. And yeah, you're totally right. It's like, uh, it's uh, incredible. That's why uh, for so many people, it's deconstruction is so scary because um, it, it does touch everything. It, yeah. it, it seeps into every aspect of your life. And it's basically, you're needing to learn from scratch how to live in this world. Yeah. And for me, um, I left the ministry when I was 52. And I felt like I was starting over. Mm. Yeah. It was, it freaked me out. Actually. I remember driving to, I, I, I finally got a job in a university teaching English as a second language to um, international students um, preparing for their masters in business. And um, I was teaching them Canadian business and English. And uh, I was on my way to work. And I remember pulling over, freaking out that like Lisa and I were having trouble in her marriage and our kids left home. I was no longer a pastor. We didn't have friends and realizing I, I could just totally leave my marriage and move into an apartment and start going out with other women. And nobody would care. Nobody would even know. Hmm. It was a, like that to me was, mind-blowing i was crying yeah. I, I i was freaking out um you know but i sort of uh i could picture myself as an old man leaning over his little stove in a bachelor apartment <laughs> with a string craft dinner with a single malt scotch in my hand and a cigarette in my mouth all by myself i love that you've committed to not learning how to cook for this whole time <laughs> no but that's what i actually i picture myself a lonely old man yeah. who drank too much and smoked and lived alone and had ostracized everyone he loved and mm. uh lost you know all dignity and and everything and uh finishing out my days realizing i made a huge huge mistake mm. so you know i got myself together drove to work and lisa and i uh 
well, blunt, I'll tell you honestly, she looked at me one day and said, you need help. <laughs> That's mm. when I got a, I got a therapist. I started um, some coaching, getting coached. Yep. And, uh, you know, Lisa and I going together for therapy and, you know, now our marriage is better than ever and our family's strong and our kids are our best friends. And we we're building up a, a stable of people we can call friends and, and so on. So it took some work, man. It took some yeah. work, but you know, I'd say two to five years. It took us to, um, to the first two years were I was frozen. Nothing got done. And then the next three years we put the work in and, and uh, restored what yeah. could be restored. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is, that's a great analogy that the cancer, the tumor that just kind of, it, spreads through the entire thing it just is connected yeah, how to do you remove it yeah you can't i mean it's funny because you know it's probably as apt uh analogy as i can think of but it is to die and be reborn you, you really yeah. do your life your re relationships your purpose your identity your sense of security your everything your friendships the community your, your idea of if there's a god or not and even if you do still believe in a god that god that you believe before is gone he's dead like you know like it, everything is gone a anything that was stable is just completely lost and well i know even um i and people people message me or comment and say i've left the church and the number one thing i think people experience when they leave the church is loneliness and they're like yeah how do I make friends? You know what? You sound like a four-year-old. <laughs> it's like really a funny. How, how do I make friends? But it's true. Yeah. And, and the are. church kind of inoculates you from that as well. So, so this is actually, there's a lot of data on this research, true. solid data on if you ask people that have left the church, so this isn't necessarily deconstructing, but certainly de-churched because um, yeah. a lot of people deconstruct stay in the church um, and maybe a good portion because they're scared of this dynamic. But when you ask people that are de-churched, what do you miss the most? Your relationship with God, your relationship, you know, with this, with that, you know, your sense of security, certainty, the thing that they miss the most is community. Um, yeah. again and again and again um, even people that have lost marriages and things still tend to say they miss the sense of belonging in a community more than even their failed marriage or whatever that's occurred because of it and yeah it is really a, a fascinating dynamic but you talk to people and, and so many people message me and go I don't know what to do like how do I begin I mean even yesterday on one of my posts someone commented and was like well yeah but what do I do now like I, how do you make a friend and I'm like it is interesting because when you were four, you went on the playground and said, hi, do you want to be my friend? Let's go play. And it was kind of cool. Um, yeah. And what's interesting is, okay, maybe not exactly the same language, but give or take, you go up to someone in a pub, in the, in, in the gym, you get talking to them. Most people out there are excited to have more people in their life that they can connect with. Like it's well, a great you know goldmine. People yeah, want to be friends. Mm -hmm. I, I know people who are not in the church and haven't been and they're they're the same they struggle so that when yeah. lisa and i um you know we we are proactive so we intentionally we know if we aren't proactive nothing will get done because everybody else is feeling the same way yep um they're feeling insecure they are feeling uh unsociable they're they're feeling like nobody would want to be their friend they're shy they're in introverted what you know whatever there's all kinds of busy they're busy mm -hmm. um overwhelmed uh, or maybe they just don't like you you know that that's possible too. <laughs> so it's like there's um there's all kinds of dynamics yeah. that play that uh but you know i i talk about that a lot too about missing the community because after i left the church 
that was my probably number one pain was just missing the community and you know like that that's the church's number one asset i believe mm -hmm. like what other place can you go in on a sunday morning and be handed a platter full of friendships yeah and activities and support you know things to do yeah um people like whether you agree with it or not there's something very powerful in you're having activities throughout the week with the same group of people gathering around common values uh having a weekly potluck um having babysitters and mechanics and plumbers you know hey yeah. you know give, giving you a hand um something for your kids to do sunday school data vacation bible school youth group um there there's just a network of support even people who say i'm going to pray for you just knowing people are thinking about you throughout the day yeah there's a lot to be said about that but and i've i've talked about this a lot too um i'm very interested in cult dynamics yes and um you know i watched quite a few commentaries and documentaries on on cults and to a t every one of them when they're interviewing people who've left the cult or escaped the cult it's the same thing man they're they're like crying because they miss yeah. that intensity of intimacy in the community and I, I started thinking you know what maybe maybe that's not a good thing like maybe that's unnatural like maybe that's not normal um that intensity of intimacy mm. uh, because what often comes with that is you can have no secrets you have to confess stuff you have to be totally transparent. You have to be totally 100% dedicated and loyal. You can't question. You have to participate. You have to volunteer. You have to give your money. Like there's there's a lot of unhealthiness around that kind of thing. So it's just like people who've left a cult or escaped the cult or whatever they're being interviewed. It's like, yeah, they were being totally, totally abused. I mean, yeah. horrific, but they still miss that intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it costs them so much. And so the church, I feel, um, has that same dynamic um, often. A lot of us miss what was going on, but you know what? I don't want what came with it. Yeah. And it, it does, it makes you wonder. I, I sit and think about this often, like a lot. How do you um how do you create community that is inclusive, that is embracing, that is non-transactional, that is not cult-like? Um, yeah. And, you know, try and create some of the dynamics there, like the safety nets for one another, the support systems, the, the, the love and the affection and the care and the ability to be vulnerable and whatever, but not require people to be vulnerable to the point where I need to know exactly what's going on at all times or you're out because you're hiding something from me or whatever it might be that's suddenly a really unethical and unhealthy twist. Um, right. And it is, it's such an interesting dynamic because you have this craving in people I think we, on some level, we were made to live in communities, you know, made oh, yeah. being a, a word, whatever your views on the origins of the hominids. Um, you know, we, we existed for a long time in these tight knit communities, these tribes, these um, families. Um, and as time has evolved and gone on, we have drifted away from that in a lot of ways. You know, I don't know my neighbors very well. I know maybe either side of me, but that's about it. I can go and knock uh -huh. on the next door down and I don't actually know them very well. And I've been living here for four years. 
Um, yeah. And that's terrifying to me in some ways. You know, I, I like yeah. the idea of knowing everyone in my street. I like the idea of getting to know people and having relationship. I like this idea of going to the same gym, the same coffee shop, the same pub. And I walk in and I go, hey, Jerry, Julie, Bob, you know, like, and I know the people. I, I, I love that dynamic. And I've had that in different ways, yeah. um, give or take at different times in my life in and out of the church. Right. Um, and it can get really unhealthy or it can be really good. And usually it's both, right? Usually yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. a clear cut, black and white, dualistic, yes, no, right, wrong. Um, right. It, it's, it's messy. But I do think that the church, it, it does, if, if, if it does one thing well, it helps people feel when, when it's working for them, it works really well, right? It works yes, until it doesn't. I agree. And, and I've I think, seen it work. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, as well, it works even if you're a horrible person, right? So I, I joke about it, but I'm, I'm neurodivergent and I'm not very good around people. I've worked on that for decades and I'm better around people. Um, mm-hmm. But I probably, first time going into a church around all my peers, I can't imagine they were like, oh my gosh, Phil's awesome. We can't wait to hang out with him. But guess what? It's a church. Doesn't matter if Phil's awesome. Phil can be a total dick. You still have to hang around him. Phil can be really socially awkward. Phil doesn't know what to do, or Phil goes on a monologue for an hour and doesn't realize that everyone's bored with what he's interested in. Like, doesn't matter. We still have to be nice to this guy because we're the church, right? And he's part of you the church. That? Oh, I you do, do that. that? Go into a monologue? Oh, you can't tell. <laughs> I have comments all the time on my podcast. It's like, please let the guest speak. And I'm like, at best, I can give you 50-50. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the beauties of church, though, because you know what? I did develop more social skills because of that. I did b- feel belonging that I've never felt before that. I, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of really positive components of that. That oh, totally. Probably I, wouldn't have know, occurred in my average pub or gym. People would have just gone, God, that guy's crazy. I don't really care about hanging around with him. Let's pick another pub or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like they say, you can't choose your family. And it's the same with the church. You can't choose your... right. Who the, who the members are. But yeah, yeah I, I tried different things after I left the church uh, and they just didn't me- measure up. Um, mm. But, you know, Lisa and I have restored a couple of friendships, worked on those, um, and we've made some new friendships and, and, and we've worked on those. And it's kind of like with our family. So we have three adult kids and um, we love hanging out together and we'll go on vacation together and we are like friends so it's very open Lisa and I've been really I feel we've been good parents and our kids are are awesome people and um so that there are times when it's just frivolous frivolity yeah frivolity we're playing games, maybe we're drinking, we're laughing, we're watching a movie, whatever. And then there's other times when we're sharing what we're going through and it gets intense, you know, deep, intimate. Um, and then we just move on and maybe, you know, start cooking supper. And like just uh, a couple of months ago, uh, we rented an Airbnb for a month, uh, a week in the country with a hot tub on a pond and got a bunch of wine and and got a bunch of good food and we just hung out there in the woods for a week amazing Uh, and just you know sometimes we're funny sometimes we're sharing and sometimes so i I think that's what um community can look like Mm. where there's no pressure or expectations or schedule or you know whatever where uh okay everybody 
It's time for us all to be honest and intimate and transparent with each other. Phil, we start with you. Yeah. What are you struggling with today? You know, kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I know that me and uh, Till, my wife, we've definitely navigated. We, we were fortunate in the way that when we came out of church, we took a good portion of the church with us um, over a spread of a few years. Um, and so we have a lot of people in our local area that have gone through this journey, that understand that, that are keen to still have relationship and do things regularly and connect. And cool. so we have group messaging and, you know, we'll just chat text. Hey, we're going to do board games tonight. Does anyone want to join us? Or, hey, we're going to go to the pub for, you know, food and drinks. Anyone want to fancy join us, come and meet us at seven or whatever. And, and generally speaking, people have the freedom to opt in, opt out. Um, but it is interesting that I do find that me and Till are the ones that consistently are the ones going, hey, we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to do that. Hey, come along if you want. Um, we are constantly going, hey, let's book an Airbnb and have friends. We, we were just doing that next week, actually. Um, have some friends cool. join us or whatever. But like, it is an interesting dynamic that, um, and maybe this is because we were both leaders in the church. I don't know. But when you're a Christian, you, there's this thing of you don't have to go into the playground and say, hey, do you want to be my friends? People are your friend by default. And you don't have to go, hey, do you want to come over after dinner to my house? Because someone's saying to you, hey, tonight you're having people over tonight at dinner and that's what's going to happen. Or And on Wednesday, we're going to get together and we're going to pray. And on Thursday, we're going to go do a youth group meeting. Right, or right. like There's that structure. And I think a lot of a lot of us suffer from rejection issues, acceptance issues. A lot of that stuff, I think, can really hinder our capacity to be intentional about building community as well. Um, yeah. Not to mention we're told that the world is evil, that people are awful humans, that they're the worst people out there. So then we're thinking, I don't even feel safe approaching strangers yeah. in the quote-unquote world. Um, right. There's so many little barriers in, in yeah. that individually aren't that big, but you start yeah, these so together. Lisa and I basically agreed um, if we don't initiate, things aren't going to happen um, at the same, at the kind of level that we want it to happen. I mean, once in a while, somebody will say, hey, what are you guys doing? Um, do you want to come over for supper or whatever? Most of the time, it's Lisa and I mm. uh, initiating and doing the work, making things happen. And we just agreed, we can't second guess why nobody's doing it. We just right. forget about it. Because uh, that can just lead down to feeling resentful or bitter or, you know, uh, excluded or whatever. Uh, we've just come to find out, like I've already mentioned, that so many people are, are they're just busy, they're wow. preoccupied, they forget, they, they assume since we're so gregarious that other people, that we'd prefer to be with other people. They might be feeling, you know, introverted or shy or, or lazy or, you know, there's all kinds yeah. of reasons. Maybe they're embarrassed by their house. They don't want to have anybody. In. Like there's all kinds of reasons. So Lisa and I are just like, we're just going to do the work and enjoy the benefits. Mm. And so like what you're doing and Tilly is her name, Tilly, yep. um, where you're setting things up, you just got to do it. And just with your blinders on and mm. full speed ahead that and yeah. um, just enjoy it you know yeah because the other people who are coming are appreciating it i we have oh, friends, yeah uh, we have friends who are um um in another province and uh we're really close with them and we wish we lived closer but uh alas we don't but she the the wife of these friends is like that where she's she's actually nicknamed the social mediator 
and where she just has a group of friends and she's constantly making plans. And mm. everybody knows if she wasn't there, they would just not be getting together. <laughs> and, and it's just because she's putting the work in. Yeah. Man. And she's kind of naively like having fun doing it. And Thankful for these people. I'm sure once in a while she sits down and says, why am I always the one initiating and doing the work? You can't yeah. think like that. Just forget it. Yeah. Just do it. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's hard. I, I've got so much empathy because I, I feel like um, we've been just very fortunate. In a lot of ways, I think it's much more that we landed on our feet than um, I, it's easy for me to do these things because I already have a lot of connections. It's harder to do it from scratch or whatever. It's hard to do it oh, from yeah. scratch when you're working through some heavy shit because you're deconstructing, you've got religious trauma and you have rejection issues. Never mind all your friends and family and your you know community also have now, on top of your rejection issues, rejected you right so now it's like oh and now i have to go and speak to that person i see in the, the gym every day or uh go to a coffee shop and strike up a stranger with the person next to me and they're most likely to be like uh, okay stranger bye uh, you know <laughs> i can't deal with that level of rejection i've got enough rejection going on uh, so i have so much empathy for for people that are going through this it is it's, it's really hard um and we were hard. not taught growing up in the church how to make friends you know we really weren't and and we were given oh, so that's many true um you know I, I, maybe people that uh grew up outside the church probably weren't taught to make friends very well either i, I don't know i think it's just quite a natural no, thing right. for kids no, and right. all adults have no idea what to do now <laughs> um, totally accurate like the people we know who have friends and they're busy all the time they've had the same friends since high school yeah so they've just you know they have a life and they, yeah that'll just continue on yeah and uh but um, starting from scratch as an adult, it's just hard work. Yeah. Especially in the last two years, right? Starting from oh. scratch as an adult locked in your house. Right? I'm so done. Yeah. God. Yeah. I hear you. My wife actually has COVID right now. Oh gosh. That's and awful. She's a nurse. Is and this, she got it. Is so, this her first time having COVID? She's yeah. got this far. Gosh. So is she doing okay? Downstairs? And I'm living upstairs. Um, I thought I was a hermit before. I'm more of a hermit <laughs> Next now. level. It's like next level for sure. Wow. Is she doing okay though? Yeah. I'll be glad when this is all done. But the world's a mess right now, you know, with what's happening in yeah. Ukraine, and et cetera. So... Yeah, we've got a lot going on. And and I think that's another, I mean, there's so many things, right? Every single thing, as, you, as you're going through this process of deconstruction, you don't realize that just the Ukraine thing triggered my mind. But like I was talking about this last week. So mm -hmm. many people suddenly in my inbox going, hey, I thought I was doing pretty well. And now I am realizing, holy crap, I've got a lifetime of being told that the world's going to end, that it's going to be the Russians that end the world <laughs> going to war, that sure. it's going to, you know, that, 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 this, 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 and, and, right? All these things I've been told by the church, by this uh, nationalistic agenda, whatever, all these different components all being triggered now i thought i was i thought i'd work through some of my big issues and then suddenly like this comes up i'm realizing whoa there's a whole bunch more trauma and it does feel i mean covid for a lot of people people were like is this the end of the world people talk about marks of the beasts and vaccinations and i'm realizing crap there's tons in here that feels really triggered and uncomfortable and i don't even believe what my crazy grandma shared on facebook but it's triggering me to crap like what do i do uh, well, man, when yeah. I first, I was scared into Christianity. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, but I got scared into being born again <coughs> at, a, at a Baptist youth group where some guys scared the shit out of me with end time stuff. And, um, you know, Gorbachev having the 
tat, you know, the birthmark on his forehead being the sign of the beast. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's like, yeah, I totally, it's, it's all there, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's all, it's all there. Very, very, very deep. Um, all the, all the end time stuff. And it's, that's another thing too, that a lot of people write me about is how do you get rid of this fear? Like, I don't believe in hell anymore, but I'm still afraid of going there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't believe in it. Like, it's just crazy. It's, it's a mind fuck. Sorry. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, you, you don't have to push. I'm Scottish. So okay. I, 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 I'm always trying to be on my best behavior and I still swear every other minute. Um, so uh, yeah, don't worry about that. Um, it's, it's true, right? These, these things are so deeply rooted and, and, and in many ways we can work on them and we can do them, but it, like you're saying there, you know, you're like, Oh, and I've just decided I'm going to have to revisit a therapist for a couple of weeks weeks or months or whatever to, to work on some new stuff and i think the reality is that this probably doesn't finish you don't just finish working through your past integrating it moving forwards growing continuing to be a healthy human requires intentionality and work and will constantly get external pressures pushing it in certain ways i compare it to peeling an onion and every layer has tears and there's a ton of layers <laughs> right so um but yeah, de deconstruction for me is a way of life. It's a process. It's, uh, and I'm, I'm insisting, especially lately, that it's not a movement. It's not a club mm -hmm. or a group or a fad or anything like that. It's just um, uh, a word that we're using to describe um, our spiritual journeys. Mm. And uh, I think it's, it's a healthy way of life, actually, where... Yeah like the Buddhists or whatever, you're constantly questioning your conditioning, which is constantly happening. You're constantly being yeah. conditioned by your own past and memories, but also by the culture around us and by the news and by everything. And so we're constantly needing to decondition ourselves, which is basically deconstruction, where you're constantly questioning um, um, presented what's being presented as truth. So yeah. yeah, for me, deconstruction isn't a bad word. Um, and it's not a, you know, a phase. It's, it's, I think, a healthy way to live. Actually, I, I'm not going to fight over this. But I, 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 I think I was the one that started using the word deconstruction back in 2008. Um, when I was reading um, Derrida, the French philosopher who mm -hmm. actually coined the phrase deconstruction, right, in reference to questioning the text. And, and um, I thought, hey, that's a pretty accurate way to describe what I'm going through spiritually. And I started using that word to describe that process. Yeah. And so deconstruction is a philosophy. It's yep. a way of thinking that I think um, is a good one to have throughout our life. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. I always, I, I have heard you say before that you might have come up with the, uh, the use of it in this concept, in this, in this community. Um, and I'm, I'm familiar with Derrida's work as much as anyone can ever get familiar with Derrida's work. Because oh, really? God's like philosophy, Derrida's about as hard as it gets, but in a lot of ways, he deconstructs himself as he de explains deconstruction. It's a, it's a nightmare. But, um, but I, I love it. I, I'm fascinated. And then it, from the research perspective of us doing our work and researching the community of, of people that identify as deconstruction and, and trying to reverse engineer who is this group? What do they identify with? It's really fascinating as you look at it how much it points to these kind of 
core components, these questioning of core values, these uh, rejecting of the, the, the faith traditions, answers of the core values, um, pursuit of new core values. But the, the key component we found again and again and again, this is across, you know, thousands plus people, you know, completely randomized uh, trial. Um, you have again and again, and the third component is they hold their new beliefs with less fundamentalism. And it's so fascinating to see that the with deconstruction, there's this concept of there's still probably further to go. I, I, I believe this today. I'm going to live as though it's true because you have to live as though something's true today. Even if you don't believe it will be true tomorrow, you got to do that. Right. But I am going to hold it loosely going. It is probably true that in a few days, I'll probably believe something different if I keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I compare it to, um, uh, I live in I live on a river. It's very deep and wide. <clears throat> that at the bottom, it's very calm, deep, mm-hmm. dark, cold. But on the the surface is changing constantly. Well, not right now. It's ice right now, <laughs> but it's constantly changing. Sometimes there's ripples. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's huge waves. You know. And that to me is the beliefs and thoughts and everything mm. that change from day to day. And you just sort of let that flow over you um, and you hold it loosely, like you yeah. said, um, because cool. deep down that's where life and, and truth and meaning and all that is at that deeper level that's unaffected by um, the day-to-day thoughts and yeah. beliefs. After all, that's all a belief is, is a thought that we cherish. Yeah. And um, absolutely. And as as soon as you realize that, then you um, you learn not to cherish these fleeting thoughts that are flying through your brain like bats yeah. and dolphins, right? So yeah. Well, we're so interwoven with our beliefs that we become our beliefs become our identity in so many ways. So, David, can we completely derail and go one hundred and eighty? I want to yeah. ask you: How are you doing for time? Are you okay? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask you. So we're we are here to talk about your new book, and, and we're going to plug that towards the end. Um, but yeah. I want to ask you it's, uh, about uh, one of your other books that you've written that I think is one of. I don't know. You probably know this, this how much they get sold or whatever. But I feel it's one of your least uh, known about products that I probably mention at least once every two or three days to someone, um, and it's the till doubt do we part. Um, oh, and. I would love to talk to you about the dynamic of navigating relationships where the deconstruction is not on the same page. Deconstruction is uh, maybe happening for one, not for the other, or maybe there's deconstruction going on for both people, but they're not at the same pace and different dynamics like that. And I know your your book was so helpful for so many people, and it has been so helpful for so many people that I've recommended that to um, cool. I thought it'd be great to give some insight into that. Maybe I can start pointing to this podcast as a precursor that would then maybe put, point people on to, to pulling the trigger on buying that book. But c- can we talk a bit about that? Like, I think this is such a huge, huge um, issue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's very rare that two people deconstruct at exactly the same time. Um, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you ever want to, you know, um, I'm open to this. If ever you want to do a live or something where we can oh, be great. questions about that very topic, because I'm we very passionate about it. it. <clears throat> um, I wrote the book basically because my ne- our marriage nearly crashed. Uh, we'd been married for decades. And um, 
our we were like I said, our deconstruction was slow, like a slow glacial melt, but um, it really uh, it was all converged. Like I said, when I left the ministry and everything changed, mm. it was like a bomb went off in the middle of our lives and everything changed. And I, I shut down, um, froze and um, our marriage began to suffer. And I, 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 um, I experienced something I had never experienced before. I was working in a university and noticed that women were attracted to me. And um, I noticed that there were attractive women and mm. um, some women were rather forward. I'd never experienced that before either because I am, I'm super naive and never noticed it or it never happened because I was a pastor and women knew not mm. to do that or whatever. I don't know why, but this was a totally new experience with me and it really messed me up um, because here I was unhappy in my life as it was. And here were these temptations that I'd never felt before. And um, no, I was no longer in the fishbowl where everybody could see and observe what I was doing or what was going mm. on. Like nobody cared. I was, it was mind blowing to me and it totally freaked me out. And um, anyway, like I've said, uh, Lisa and I decided to work hard at restoring our relationship and we did, and it's better now than ever. Um, glad I did that. I, I sort of had a rule before then, never make a decision when you're confused. And mm -hmm. I was confused. So um, I waited until I didn't feel so confused and made the right choice. And um, so I, helping people through their own deconstructions, especially adults, many of them married in relationships. Mm. Uh, I was seeing their marriages blow up. Um, and I totally understood why I'd been there yeah, myself. Um, just a matter of luck of the draw that we didn't go our separate ways. So I decided to uh, just bunch, write a series of blog posts on it with the intention of when I had about 30 posts or so and cartoons that I would compile them together into a book. And I did, and I called it Till Doubt Do Us Part When Changing Beliefs Change Your Marriage. And um, on the cover, I like the cover. It shows a question mark and has wedding rings on it. And um, so it has helped a lot of people. I'm hearing from a lot of people mm. that are grateful for it. Most of them for helping them uh, repair their marriage. Um, second, people who realize, you know what, they shouldn't have been married in the first place. Yeah. Purity culture, prophetic words, pressure, too young, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then um, others who just realize that they, you know, um, it wasn't going to work and yeah. divorced or whatever. But most, most of them have found the book helpful to restore their relationship. That's really, really good. Like I, I just am fascinated by, the dynamic at play where we are it's, you don't marry someone because they're a christian generally speaking right I, I think like there's more at play than that one fact right when you when you're a good christian kid and you meet the girl or, or the guy um but definitely the opposite sex of right so good christian kids um, but you know whatever it is you, you get you fall in love and you get engaged and you get married there's more to it than you're a christian okay um but that is the first thing 
But for most Christians, that is the number one first thing is, are you here in this church because you're a Christian? Are you are you right. in my life opposite me? I find you attractive. But first of all, that's not even on the table if you're not a Christian. And, and you know, it's such a foundational thing that it's not even thought about for most Christians. We don't even really think about that. We just accept you're a Christian. And, right. and then for suddenly someone to turn around and, and it can feel sudden. I mean, like, like you said, for many people, it can be like a decade long process that culminates, but it feels sudden, um, feels sudden when it's, when it's yourself going through that process, it can feel like a slow trickle and then right. suddenly it just hits you. But how much more sudden for the partner who's getting right. it out of nowhere, right? I mean, this is like, you know, it, this is hard to process over months internally. How much harder is it for your partner who's hearing it in, two minutes <laughs> you're sitting down at the table going i don't know if i believe in god anymore or i don't want to go to church anymore or yeah. i don't believe that god's a he or you know whatever it might be that's a big small right. whatever it might be it's a huge thing to hit you because it, it challenges that foundation that probably wasn't even talked about when we right. sat down and talked about you know we talked about maybe our goals our future you know our, some of our values or you know do we find each other attractive but it's just an assumption that you're going to be Christian, right? It's not even yeah. in the vows, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't believe or you believe, no, you're going to believe, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it is, it's such a, a, a wrecking ball. I mean, like it's, it's such a thing to face. And I, I I'm always, I, I talk to so many people every day and I know you do the same. And I don't know how many people you come across that are like this, but I talk to a lot of people that are deconstructing their faith and trying to navigate this. And I'll recommend your book or give them some advice or, you know, let them process and talk about it. But I also talk to a lot of people that come and find me and go, Hey, Phil, I hate everything you do. <laughs> I actually hate it, but I know that you've been doing this for a long time and you've been helping people. And I'm a content Christian and my wife or my husband is deconstructing. <clears throat> Am I going to be okay? What's going to happen? And they're just, terrified it's 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 yeah. honestly the most terrifying thing um how did you know when you and lisa were going through this was there quite a disparity as far as where you were spiritually you talk about that divide um you know being made and you becoming unhappy in your your relationship was it largely to do with the, the spirituality being so majorly different or what 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 do you think about the deconstruction well, that kind of caused that was it just the change in you totally or it was um, it was more like it was kind of like you were inferring. It, it it was all of a sudden it became an issue. Like when we met, we met in Bible college, so there was it was kind of like an assumption. There was never, are you a really truly born again? You know, there was none of that. And um, so that when we left the ministry, it was kind of like being being flayed open. Everything was exposed. And, you know, Lisa was, I remember Lisa saying, like, do you even pray anymore? Like, and I, I didn't even know how to answer that question. It was, it, so it was all of a sudden to become an issue. It yeah. never had been. We just, for, for years, were, you know, sewn at the hip, joined at the hip, like completely on the same page, uh, on the same line, on the same, you know, and now all of a sudden we weren't even sure if we were in the same book or the same mm. library. Like it was like, uh, we, we, were, we didn't even know. It wasn't like, well, no, I believe this and you believe that. It wasn't that at all. It was that there was massive confusion um, and uncertainty and questions. So that's why in the book I talk about, 
you know, um, we, we, Lisa and I had to actually sit down and renegotiate our relationship. What is it that is the glue to our relationship? Mm. Is it compatibility of beliefs, really? Is that really the glue? And we realized it wasn't, that I fell in love with the believer, not her beliefs. Now, mm. I, I fell in love with the way Lisa was, the way she talked, the way she thought, the way she looked first, I'll admit. It was the way she looked um, and, and, you know, all these things. And so that I, I, I fell in love with and respected the thinker, the, the person who, mm. who happened to believe this way. And, and so when, and, and she came to the same conclusion, you know, um, that she loved me because of the way I was mm. and not because of what I believed or thought or whatever. And so, um, we, we realize, okay, we just need to learn how to, how to love on that level, which we feel is deeper and healthier, where we, we, we love the person who is going to change their minds. Yeah. Right. Um, man, I, I know, I know a lot of people who, and I, I've drawn a lot of cartoons about this and they're in the book where, you know, the, the husband's complaining about the, the wife where, you know, you're not the same person I married 40 years ago. Well, of course <laughs> not. You know, you're, you don't think the same way. You don't believe the same way. <laughs> of course, I draw the woman like she looks like a demon, right? Because right. whatever, just to make it funny. But yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, joking aside, when we look at kind of conventional faith, conventional faith, generally speaking, sets perfection in stone. And it goes, this is it. This is right. This is the way it should be, right. whatever it might be. And in some ways, it, our beliefs, you know, so you can't change your beliefs because that's moving away from this perfection. You can't change who you are because that's moving away from this perfection. You know, um, we do. We demonize change in a lot of ways. Um, by default, we're taught to demonize change, to fear change, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's really, that's really insightful though. And I, I love that. I mean, I really, I really enjoy your book. I, I feel the, the process of, of unpacking that in a marriage, I think is really helpful. And even me and Till met and I was already quite deconstructed. I think she has started her deconstruction process, but even still, I, you, you say, do you even pray? Well, I think that was one of the questions she was like, wait, what you, do you even pray? Or, um, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's these things that, you know, I'm looking at it going, well, who cares? Right. But she's looking at it going, but like, wait, but what way's up though? If you don't pray, like, I mean, what are we just yeah. talking? What's even happening right here? It is such a, <laughs> an, a paradigm shift. Um, and it is hard. Yeah. It's hard when for years your marriage has been, we pray together, we go to church together, we're part of these community groups together. We we make these decisions for our children around these ideas and, uh -huh. and, and choices. And suddenly one of us is saying, eh, actually, I'm not even sure I believe that. In fact, actually, I believe some of the things we chose to do in raising our kids is actually actively harmful. And I'd like to change our kids by apologizing, making reparations. And the other one's going, whoa, 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 we did the right thing. Or These are, I mean, it's, we're talking really big, big things. It, it, yeah. it, you know, it, it can be funny looking on and, and, and especially when we kind of have a little bit of distance to look back at our own lives and there's a bit of space there. We can laugh about these things, but these are really, really hard things to navigate. You know, this is, yeah. this is where the rubber hits the road is, you know, will this relationship fall apart? Will it not? And I think I love what you do as well. And, and I think this is, I learned this from my therapist, my first marriage, um, it, it didn't work out, um, which now I'm like so happy about. In fact, I wasn't that 
gutted about it for too long, actually. Once it kind of was done and, and I realized, oh, this was never a good thing, actually. And this wasn't going to work. But it was because the therapist sat down with us and she said, look, I have zero agenda in keeping you together. That's not my goal. My goal is to make sure that you are both healthy people. And if it's right for you to be together and that makes you more healthy, then you should stay together. But if it's not, and you being the most healthy you possible means you should separate, then that's a great outcome as well. And I, I remember that happening and just thinking, I've never done, sat down with a pastor who said that, right? No, no. But any pastor you sit down with is, how do we make sure you stay together? Yeah. And there's such an agenda there. And, I, and, I, and so I love as well in, in what you're doing, you sit down and go, hey, by the way, even a, a, a marriage dissolved is not necessarily a bad outcome. This could be the best outcome. Um, and I think that's such a such a paradigm shift as well, right? Because the people in my yeah. inbox f- freaking out are not going, maybe I might break up with my husband and it'll be a great thing. They're going, that would be the end of the world. But, yeah, and it has right. been taught to be the end of the world. Um, it's, it's such well, a hard you know, thing. Well, you know, I think I might, mention, might have mentioned this in the book too. One of the things that contributed to the perfect storm after I left the ministry was we had to file for bankruptcy because... We were just so poor and that, you know, my goodness, throw that into the mix of everything we were going through, plus being bankrupt and here in Canada, it's a seven year process. And um, oh, for me, gro- growing up in the church that I grew up in bankruptcy and, and in my family, mm. bankruptcy was like worse than cancer, worse than death. And I was terrified of it. But when we sat down with the uh, um, financial counselor, they're like uh, at the um, agency that was determining whether or not we should file for bankruptcy. She said, you have no choice. You've got to file. And I, I sobbed right in front <laughs> I sobbed right in front of her because this was worse than death for me. Because yeah. I'd been taught it was worse than death. Yeah. And, and that was a failure and the humiliation of it and not trusting God and all this stuff that was going on in my head. I, it was the, what was one of the worst days of my life. Mm. But looking back now, it was like my year of Jubilee. Lisa and I call it our year of Jubilee. And um, for those who may not know, it, it's a biblical concept where every 50 years your debts are erased. And uh, it felt like that for us. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. I'd been lied to. I'd been misled. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't the worst day of my life. It wasn't worse than cancer. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And so mm. it's the same thing. I know I know several people who I have talked through their divorce. And both of them agree. This should never have happened. We were pressured to get married. Yeah. And we did. And we thought it was right at the time. But now we know it was a huge mistake. And we're both held out healthier and happier for it yeah and we respect one another um and we're glad we did it we glad we're glad we got divorced uh, you know yeah. yeah they say god hates divorce but that doesn't mean he doesn't allow it mm. is what i say to them right so and and um jesus said it's because of the hardness of heart that um there's divorce and uh you know it i say well the hardness of heart might be because of the person who's making the marriage miserable. Maybe that's the hard hearted one, <laughs> not the one who wants to leave a horrible situation. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 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 So I, I address all those things in the book, um, yeah. pulled out to his heart because, um, I really do hope to help a lot of people 
yeah um, get through the other side of that deconstructing I, in a relationship is hard and the cool yeah. thing about the book too is you can apply the principles to any kind of relationship mm. you know there's kind of the same principles yeah absolutely no i i think it's amazing and i think honestly i think if most people were honest with themselves even in the greatest of marriages as you start to deconstruct it crosses your mind holy crap how will this affect my marriage will it will it survive like it's such a huge thing that you know i don't think anyone really um can navigate these waters completely unscathed um no that's right big 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 questions big big life adjustments and so yeah no i love the book i think it's really really helpful and and so i i just wanted to talk about it because i i i just wanted to have some sort of stepping stone for people that wasn't they have to go and buy a book that's always a, a big hurdle isn't it i don't for me it's not i i have bookcases full of books i just don't read uh, the hurdle for me is reading them but um, for some people they're a bit more wise so they just don't buy the books if they're not going to read them yeah. um, i wanted to just touch basically but we should do a live that'd be a great idea we could sit down and yeah, take some I'd questions and help people yeah, yeah but here's the thing just one little side note about the deconstruction Please. and questions deconstruction like i i was interviewed the other day by a couple of guys who were on the more conservative end um and caught me off guard because uh they weren't really fans of deconstruction mm. and um i felt a little bit ambushed but um uh they're like well deconstruction might be all right in asking questions but the fact that there's a god and jesus christ is the only way that that's non-negotiable for me uh, well, that's not true deconstruction. Deconstruction yeah. is when you say, okay, questions, bring it on. I want the full meal deal. And um, you can't say except for. Yeah. Uh, and so it's the same. That's why mar your marriage relationships will come under scrutiny. Yes. It will. It has to. Yeah. Because um, everything gets questioned. Yeah. Everything. That's true deconstruction. Yeah, right. no, nothing off the table, right? Like um, I, I say again and again as well, I, I just think, and this is why, and this is why our data points to the fact that people hold their beliefs less fundamentally. It might take them time for that to become more and more uh, fleshed out. It might take them time to let go of certain things that they're really want. I, I just posted just before we went live, actually, uh, on this podcast, um, well, we're not live, but you know, before we record, I posted one of like someone desperately trying to cling to their Christianity. And as I was talking about like, for those that do leave Christianity, like how long does it take you to, to, to let go? Um, and, and it can be decades, right? People are desperately going, I want to be, no one, no one enters into questioning their faith going, I desperately want to leave Christianity. Maybe, maybe some marginal kind of percentage or something. But most people are starting to ask questions because they're probably serious about their faith. They're wanting to understand yeah. more. And yeah. generally speaking, they're going to fight and kick and scream the whole way trying to hold on to their faith. And, and many people yeah. do hold on to their faith and a good portion don't. Um, but it's generally as time goes on and on and on more and more stuff comes back onto the table to be looked at. And, and now I have to look at that. Oh, I didn't want it. That was never going to be on the table, Well, it's on the table. Now get your knife out, you know, let's get dig it in. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. I mean, it is, a, it's a brutal process. Brutal. Um, yeah. Brutal. Dude, well, we should wrap up cause I, I don't want to keep you for too long. Um, but let's talk about your book. So this book is, um, What's it called again? Is it flip flip it like this? Flip, flip it like this. Yeah, oh, I nailed it. Um, amazing! A collection of your best works, right? These are these are the most popular posts yeah. you've done. How, how yeah, did you decide your best works? Was it on some sort of like uh, uh, insights based on social media? Or was it just you? What you liked the best? Like, 
Well, it was a joint effort between me and the publisher where I have like over 4,000 cartoons. Right. So it seems like a mammoth task to me to try and whistle that down. (laughs) Yeah. So we decided, okay, let's pick about 110 of your most cherished cartoons. And then um, let's do about uh, 15% original, never before seen. So I had to draw about 15 um, or more original cartoons that aren't seen yet and shouldn't be seen until the book is released July 19th. But nice. um, what, what we did was we just went through all of my cartoons. I picked the ones I knew were favorites um, and very popular, you know, like Eraser or Overturning or, you know, um, these different cartoons of mine that most people uh, who follow me are familiar with. And, um, and the publisher and I and others sort of went together and just said, no, not that one. Yes, this one. No, not that one. Yes, this one. And just until we got down to, I mean, the first time I went through all my cartoons, I had something like hundreds. <laughs> I bet, I, like, I bet. How am I going to get this down to 100? And these really are your children, hard. right? These are your babies, your creations. It's like, it's yeah, very so cultural things, but like, all, you're at. <laughs> these are the best of the best. And so it's a, it's a, a cooperation between my favorites, the publisher's favorites, and but social media is which one scored the yeah. highest on following and likes and all that kind of thing. So That's it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the only text is a very, very short introduction and, um, and the rest is just cartoons. So I, I'm promoting it um, because uh, it's called Flip It Like This and it shows Jesus teaching a woman how to flip tables. And um, it's what I love about it is it's under it's going to be under twenty dollars, and I can just see people giving these as gifts to their <laughs> families. Um, you know, somebody who's deconstructing giving it to their parents, or leaving it in the bathroom, or on their coffee table, or what. And it's going to be a great gift, and uh, so yeah, I'm very excited about it. I love it. I'm already you scheming who I'm going to give it to. Go to nakedpastor.com and you can pre-order it, and that would be really great. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely we'll have links below video podcast okay. wherever you're on there's, there's links there for people to um click and buy but uh yeah I, i'm i'm excited i and i was saying uh at the beginning i think I, i'll probably include the beginning so never mind i, I re- rehash what i said but i just i love that there's some new material there i was i was, I was amazed uh, that there was stuff that i hadn't seen but that makes sense is there pressure when you're like picking the best of the best of the best and then they're like oh yeah and also draw 20 new cartoons and you're like well these better be good right <laughs> like you're like i can't i can't have them be kind of too like low grade i can't just phone these ones in <laughs> they've got to sit amongst the giants well, <laughs> you know it's only fair right like most uh authors like i've written nine other books already and uh, so i've done a lot of writing and yeah I, I did one book questions are the answer that is mostly all writing and um there was a lot of pressure to produce mm. uh a, a, write a book this one, it was basically just choosing, right? Yeah. So it's only fair that I'd be asked to, to draw 20 or some good stuff. <laughs> it's only fair that I'd be challenged in some way. And, and it's not just be a compilation, but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's cool. I love it. It's it's like, um, I think it's seven by seven inches square and it's going to be hardcover. It's, but, a, uh, it's a great size. It's going to be good to, to have sitting in your in your toilet or your restroom you yeah. guys call it over there you know like your, your your religious family come over and they sit down and they're like oh what's that over there you know they they 
you know, start yeah. raging. Um, <laughs> I'm already I picking who I'm going to go to in stockings this year for Christmas. Um, <laughs> Because I'm not unpopular enough with my extended family already. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah, I'm it. really excited for it. And, and I really um, I hope people pick it up, get it for gifts. Um, I mean, I think that, like we talked about at the beginning, the, the power of a cartoon, it's such a unassuming, disarming mechanism to have people really question something, yeah. think something, see from a particular perspective that's hard for them to see just in, a, in the, the the method of just text or or, yeah. or some of the spoken words it just doesn't hit in the same way that um yeah, yeah a picture does say a thousand words um yeah so yeah I I, i'm really excited david thank you so much um for taking the time to chat thank as you, well man. it's been a it's been a joy real privilege as always um, yeah thank you yeah Appreciate and i'll touch base and we'll, we'll maybe arrange to do a live in, in a month or two and, and then we can also plug the book again on that that would well. be awesome so that'd uh, be great yeah perfect all right, I'll let yeah. you know what this is at. It's probably going to be next week, I think, but uh, I'm pretty For short sure. on my list of podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, good to see you. Have a good one, yeah? You too. Take All right, care, love you, man. Bye. Bye. Love you too. If you are deconstructing, there is no reason to do this alone. It can be an incredibly lonely process, but the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others deconstructing in your local area. If you would like to support what I do, everything I do is for free, from talking to people for hours on end to producing resources and podcasts. Um, it is only possible because people give uh, generously. There's never any need to give. Um, it will always be free, everything I do. But if you do, we do have an amazing private community group that we talk on over on Discord um, that you would gain access to. And we do regular audio and video chats on there as well. So it'd be great to see you in there. But of course, never any requirement. And of course, please, please, please come and talk to me on Instagram. I love connecting with people. I love helping people on their journey. If you need a safe space to process your deconstruction, I would love to connect. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Love every one of you. Peace. All right, that was David Hayward. I would really encourage you to go and check out his book. You can get that over at his website, um, nakedpastor.com. Uh, you can check him out on Instagram. He's at Naked Pastor. He's got other socials as well. You can check him out on Twitter and, and Facebook or wherever else you're on. Um, but I, I know he's very prolific over on Instagram. That's where I follow him. So I definitely check that out. Um, posting amazing stuff out constantly. Do, you know, go pre-order his book. Do it through his website. I think he gets a bit more of a, a cut. Um, and I, I know that uh, for many authors, you bring out a book and you get like pennies on the on the dollar. And so, um, yeah, make sure you buy it through his website if you're, if you're going to get a copy because uh, I'm sure he, he would appreciate that. Um, and yeah, uh, check his stuff out. Be sure to shoot him a DM, message him, let him know that you listened to this podcast, that you enjoyed it. Um, it's always nice if you're a guest on a podcast and people say that they heard you on that podcast, they liked it. Um, and and yeah, whenever I have great people on the podcast, when they get told that people appreciated it, they're more likely to come back on. And so if you want him back on as well, um, let him know as well. We'll maybe arrange that and, and keep an eye out as well. We, we will try and do a, a live um, looking at the topic of deconstructing uh, it while in relationships with people that aren't. Um, that, that might be a really fun uh, Instagram live. So keep an eye out. We'll do that in the next couple of months. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you're feeling isolated and lonely and, uh, and on your own in this journey. Um, it's a great way to see if there are people in your local area that are going through this. Of course, there are people everywhere on the planet going through this and so um the goal is just to try and get as many of those people to realize they're not as alone as they think they are and and, and be able to connect and make friends with other people that are going through this and so uh do check that place out um set a group up it's, it's only just um we've only just started the group feature and i think there's about 
16, 15 groups. Um, uh, and so, yes, if you're in London, set up a London group or set up a one for England or, you know, there's one for the UK already. But, you know, set up a, a group for um, your city, your state, um, your country. Um, maybe these things make more context, uh, uh, more, more sense contextually. You know, if you're in a very rural uh, area, maybe don't set one up for your <laughs> tiny little village. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be great to see more people taking responsibility, taking um, uh, taking these kind of uh, initiatives to, to try and create some community, create some uh, circles of people that will support one another. That's, just, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to see that come about. Um, as always, please get involved with our research as well over at the deconstructionnetwork.com. You can slash research um, and take part in the different research products we've got. Uh, I'm currently working on um, our next report, and so we'll be putting out something fairly soon, and you can get involved in that research right now. It's still live. Um, and yes, if you want to support what I'm doing, you can do so at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, either one uh, will give you the option to support what I'm doing, give as little as five bucks a month. It makes a huge difference to me. I do this full time and I have no other for force of force source of income. Um, and so it does make a huge difference, um, your support, and, and it allows me to do this for free. Um, it can be, uh, yeah, it can be a very, very busy job. You know, I, there's never a time in my day where I don't open my messages and I've got dozens of people that I could reply to. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's an endless task and, and one that um, I try and give as much as I can to. And the nature of that is I, I don't get to do a nine to five. I don't get to do anything else that would bring in some cash because this is really a full time gig and some. Um, and so your support really makes a big difference, especially because I really want to make sure that these resources, the deconstruction network, uh, my videos, my podcasts, you know, all these things, none of them are behind a paywall, even just chatting with me day in, day out. Um, some people, you know, maybe don't chat for me for months, but then they really need someone to talk to for several days in a row, you know, about some pretty heavy stuff as they deconstruct. And just giving people space to be able to do that, again, without any obligation, without any fear that this person's going to turn around and go, oh, well, you actually have to sign up and pay, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, I'm not against people that charge to help people. I'm not against people that charge for coaching or counseling or um, to do courses or anything like that. But I just know that so many people have been um, through the ringer with financial abuse coming out of Christianity that um, I want to make sure there's at least one space that is completely free of that. Um, and so if you want to help make sure that that space exists, um, that makes a big difference. Uh, and so it's patreon.com slash Phil Drysdale. All right, enough rambling from me. I hope you enjoyed the, the podcast with David. Um, again, shoot me a message and let him know that you loved it. Um, and hopefully, hopefully I'll be putting out some more podcasts uh, in, in the coming weeks. Um, I've got another one recording tonight. So certainly in, within two weeks, there'll be another podcast out. Uh, all right love you all i hope you're well uh, and do shoot me a dm if you need someone to talk to i'm at phil dry still peace <laughs>